Welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. My name is Craig Johnson. This week, we're going to continue talking about the United States right wing in the aftermath of January 6th coup, the recent massacre in Atlanta, ongoing protests in Myanmar, the arrest of a former president in Bolivia, and a see you in hell from the United States and Hungary. Updates on the aftermath of the January 6th attempted coup are that there have been several more convictions of people who attempted to storm the Capitol. These most recent convictions in the wake of the death of one of the Capitol police officers who was defending the Capitol from the right-wing protesters. Additionally, Washington Post reports that one Capitol police officer has been found to have had a copy of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Uh, that police officer has since been dismissed. Uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the protocol, calls. They are a classic, as in like, you know, they're over a hundred years old, a forgery a document that claims to be the record of an international Jewish conspiracy. It's the foundation of a lot of anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. Well, you know, for the last hundred years, the fact that it was found by a police officer working to defend the Capitol against right-wing protesters is you're just it's additional circumstantial evidence about the collaboration between the police and the far right on this matter. Additionally, the New York Times is starting to acknowledge in several stories that the police and military's indifference to the Proud Boys and other right-wing forces before the coup attempt played a role in the fact that the extreme right was able to get so far and, you know, to, to almost succeed in the coup as they almost did. However, most mainstream coverage is incapable of like fully recognizing the problem uh, that the military and the police are, in fact, on the same side um, as the Proud Boys and the right wing, or at least broadly, you know, they they can form coalitions with one another. They can work together. And this is something that we've seen repeatedly in the last several years in collaborations between the Proud Boys, the Three Percenters, uh, various other right-wing militia groups, and uh, military and police and sheriff's departments throughout the United States, uh, especially in the western part of the United States where I live. There is extensive evidence of collaboration between sheriff's departments and the police and right-wing counter-protesters. Uh, this is stretching as far back as 2016, but also, of course, into the unrest that swept the United States in the summer of 2020, uh, largely in the wake of the police murder of George Floyd. If you're a listener to this podcast, I assume that I don't need to inform you that this week there was a racist massacre in the United States, uh, in the city of Atlanta, in the state of Georgia. A white man shot and killed eight people at spas and massage parlors in the Atlanta metro area on Tuesday evening. Of the eight dead, six were women of East Asian descent, four of which were Korean nationals, according to the South Korean consulate in Atlanta. The other victims were a white woman, a woman of Latino descent, and two other women of East Asian descent. The shooter claimed that he was sexually motivated, uh, not racially motivated, uh, that he attended or you know frequented these spas and massage parlors for the purpose of sexual gratification, uh, and that he killed these people in order to stop himself from uh, falling into this temptation again. Uh, this is the line that the police and most of the mainstream media, up to and including the New York Times, have been parroting. Uh, they more or less back him up. You know, the, the quote from one of the sheriffs in Atlanta is that you know he was just having a bad day uh, and that. He, he overreacted or something like that. This is obviously disgusting and racist and misogynist, not the least of which because it implies that there is no link 
between the hypersexualization of women of East Asian descent and the systemic racism that people who are not white, any person who is not white faces in the United States, uh, or between race and sex work, uh, or between the idea that people who participate in that work are particularly disposable people and the way that the United States has related to uh, immigration from East Asia for centuries. Of course, local media, local Korean language media, which actually interviewed witnesses and victims of the shooting, as opposed to relying on the perpetrator's voice, uh, said that witnesses uh, heard him shout, quote, I'm going to kill all the Asians uh, when he entered some of these spas to commit uh, his murders. Obviously, this perspective, the mainstream perspective that, you know, this is a person having a bad day blinds us, uh, blinds the people who, who read those perspectives to the systemic racism, sexism, misogyny, anti-sex work prejudice that uh, is just endemic in the United States and the Western world in general. Uh, it also ignores the history of anti-Asian racism in the United States. Uh, some of the first immigration restrictions ever in the United States were against immigrants from Asia and particularly uh Asian women, women of Asian descent, this is both South and East Asian women, for precisely the same prejudicial reasons that this shooter targeted them uh, for the way that Western culture hypersexualizes women of Asian descent uh, for the belief that they are merely workers or automatons. Uh, this is the way that Western culture typically engages with, well, especially workers and especially women of East Asian descent. This, of course, also is part of the way that Western media and the Western zeitgeist talks about people in East Asia in general. And there's a direct through line between these centuries-old prejudices uh, and the violence that we saw in Atlanta this week. There's also a direct through line um, between the violence and the way that the United States has been engaging with China, the country, uh, during this global pandemic. Both the right and the sort of milquetoast Biden left uh, have been engaging with China as if it is an enemy in, in the process of fighting the virus. You know, uh, the right wing uh, uses racist terms like the Chinese virus uh, and other even more more unrepeatable ways of referring to this virus uh, as if it were somehow the fault of people who happen to be from Asia or as if it's the fault of the government of China. Um, both Democrats and Republicans are pushing the response to the pandemic as some sort of like new Cold War, you know, as a, as a, as a terrain of geopolitical contestation, uh, as opposed to a global public health crisis, uh, which is about trying to prevent as much death as possible. Thus, for racists, uh, like presumably the, the, the shooter in Atlanta, People from East Asia are uh, connected with with disease and with um, automation, with with inhumanity. This kind of racism cannot be tolerated in the United States. It shouldn't be tolerated by anyone anywhere, nor should any of its related concepts. Uh, the sort of new nationalism uh, pushed by both the right wing and by the supposed center left in the United States. We've seen in Atlanta the consequences of this kind of rhetoric, and we, we can't accept it. Outside of the United States, there's ongoing violence committed by the military of Myanmar uh, after its military coup on February the 1st. Uh, ongoing violence has become very lethal uh, to the protesters against the coup. Uh, several protesters are killed every week. The police are now apparently using live munitions, live rounds, that is 
they're no longer using, quote, less than lethal rounds. They're shooting live bullets uh, at protesters. Um, there is no sign of easing in this particular conflict. It's something that we're going to have to keep paying attention to and opposing. In Bolivia, former President Añez has been detained. Uh, she assumed the presidency of Bolivia following its military coup in 2019 that deposed former President Evo Morales. Uh, this uh, change of government is a coup uh, because the military called for Morales' resignation uh, as opposed to there being any sort of like legal proceeding for removing him from office. That, that makes it a coup. Uh, for those of you who do not recall the circumstances of this particular event, uh, Morales resigned after, you know, the military called for his resignation after the Organization of American States, which has long been an ally of the United States in imperialism and colonialism in South America and in Latin America in general, uh, after the OAS claimed that Morales's reelection was fraudulent. Uh, subsequent uh, evidence and investigations have shown that these claims were false, uh, as Morales and his allies had always uh, maintained. Uh, this means that he was removed from office uh, illicitly and with the uh, intervention of the military. So, in any case, long story short, Anya uh, assumed office in Bolivia uh, because of her position in the line of presidential succession. Um, Morales' vice president and several of his other allies resigned after his you know, escape from Bolivia because he was going to be detained by the military. Uh, as president, um, Anya's was a an extreme conservative and was a major proponent of violence uh, against counter-protesters against the coup. Uh, she presided over a police and military crackdown uh, in which at least 20 people were killed uh, over the course of a year, and she specifically reassured cops in the military uh, that they would face no consequences for their violence. After the recent election of a member of Morales's uh, Socialist Party to the presidency of Bolivia, uh, she failed to escape the country uh, and was there thereafter uh, detained uh, in order to charge her with uh, treason and for inciting violence. Uh, prosecutors are hoping to get a decades-long sentence. Uh, they're charging her with precisely the things uh, that her government was attempting to charge Morales with. Uh, so in this case... This is uh, a right-wing person getting what they deserve. This week's See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of right-wing figures in global history, takes us to Hungary and the United States. Uh, the person in question is named Laszlo Pastor. Uh, he was a member of the Hungarian Arrow Cross, a Hungarian fascist organization whose leader's death I celebrated just last week, uh, if you're keeping up with the podcast. Uh, Pastor, however, was a member, uh, a leader of the youth wing of the Arrow Cross. Uh, and after leading the youth wing of the Arrow Cross, he also uh, held various government positions for the puppet government of Hungary uh, in Berlin, in Germany. After the Second World War, he was imprisoned by the post-World War II Hungarian government uh, and then immigrated to the United States. In the United States, uh, starting in the 50s and through the 60s, 70s, and 80s, he was part of the Republican Party's, quote, ethnic wing. Uh, this is mostly a front uh, for fascist and post-fascist uh, political organizations from Eastern Europe. Uh, so we're talking about white ethnicities. He was one of the leaders of an umbrella organization called the Heritage Groups Council, uh, which was a part of the Republican Party for several years. For more information on this, see the excellent book by Russ Bellant. The book is called Old Nazis, New Right, and the Republican Party. 
Pastor's uh, political career in the United States took him very far uh, as a leader of, you know, these heritage group councils, um, as a representative of the extreme right, uh, the particularly European valent of the extreme right and fascism, post-fascism in the United States. Um, this took him very far in the new right, in the reorganization of the Republican Party from the 60s onward. Uh, he has collaborations with a previously mentioned uh, dead right winger, Paul Weyrich. Uh, he also worked with the H.W. Bush campaign uh, and even with the H.W. Uh, Bush White House uh, in the late 80s and early 90s. Pastor's political career, you know, petered out in the 1990s and 2000s as he aged. Um, he died March 15th, 2015, of old age. So, Laszlo Pastor, we will see you in hell. Right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. As always, if the podcast was interesting or informational to you, please share it with friends, family, and comrades. And if it was particularly interesting, please check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 Minutes of Fascism all one word. I'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.